This is the Jade Experience, and I'm Jaden Jenkins, or Jade. On Wednesday, January 6th of 2021, the world watches in horror as Make America Great Again protesters turn into rioters as they attack the Capitol building in D.C., break windows, and compromise the citadel of democracy. President Donald Trump has since become the only president to be impeached twice, and the latest impeachment is for inciting his followers to commit seditious acts on America. This event has caused the future of democracy to look rather grim, and today, with Marina Santacola and Silvio Isca, we try to understand every angle of the impeachment and the rhetoric that follows. Because this is not a small issue, this conversation is fairly long and will be split into two episodes. Thank you for tuning in to the Jade Experience podcast this week. Um, me and uh, two others are going to talk about the uh, the Trump insurrection that, that happened, <laughs> the MAGA insurrection that happened last week. Uh, with me today, I have Marina Santacola, a senior at Duquesne University. She has a major in political, or she's working on her major in political science, her minor in African studies and French. Uh, and Silvio Isca, he's working on his master's at the Paris Institute of Political Studies, and he is working on his uh, political theory major. Is that, is that correct, major? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited to have both of you here to talk about this, uh, I mean, historic event, even though it is very somber. I'm very happy you guys made it here. So one of the first things I want to really talk about is what a coup is. When Donald Trump had declined that the, he, 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 made, he made our election fraudulent. I know I saw a lot of headlines across the world that said that he was starting a coup then. He said, oh yeah, he's, he's uh, against the government institute. And I mean, I didn't know how to define a coup at that time, but I didn't feel like that was a coup. It felt like he was being fraudulent. He was uh, discrediting uh, the election results. Even when the Associated Press had said Biden had won, he still was in denial of that. And I think it, maybe it was Ireland and France specifically. I saw some kind of t- uh, newspapers that were saying a coup in America is, is happening. Um, so I think we should define a coup before we go any further. And uh, that'd be really helpful for our viewers and for me. Sylvia, would you like to if take I this may, one? Yes, please. Uh, if I may, the thing is that defining a coup is, is complicated because it also takes... Um, it, it takes in part also the definition of a revolution. You could say that a revolution is the, um, the violent overthrow of an established political authority by people who do not hold political power. Uh, but that is to create a new political system. A coup, by contrast, is also a violent change of uh, political authority, but that is basically the appropriation of political authority by people who already have some position of power and may or may not change political system. In this case, we could look at Hugo Chavez, for example, is someone who already held considerable authority and used that to instigate a coup. And with with this specific event, the well, the perpetrators of this coup attempt were in part 
instigated by members of the of the current Trump administration, and uh, can be considered to be supporters of uh, factions of the American government. As such, we can see it as a coup because it does not re reflect the entire American population. It does not um, uh, have support from the entire American population, even though it claims to have such population, uh, have popular support. In that sense, a coup will very often claim to be a revolution, and this is an important distinction to, uh, to point out. So, a coup, you said, one of the defining things is a change in power uh, in, in governmental, I guess, uh, in government organization, uh, violently. Is that what you're yes. saying? That's one of the, one yes, of the important... absolutely. And it's already happening by people who already have government power. Okay. Okay, so it has to happen within the already established government institute, uh, and then the, the, some kind of smaller faction that doesn't represent everybody is trying to take over. Okay, and I, I think we can safely say that that is what happened on Wednesday. See, I, I can't. It would have been all right if it was just a protest. And I mean, again, it, it was it was a, a strange protest to uh, attack the electoral process that many institutions have already uh, said is not fraudulent. One of the best elections we've had um, when it comes to fraudulence uh, or lack of fraudulence. It's it, it when it became violent. That is when it wasn't OK. And how many officers have we found to be uh, harmed or killed? Do, do we know that number? now i don't know the officers specifically uh, i believe the total fatal interaction count is at five five okay uh, but i think that includes some civilians in the crowd like, okay. uh, i believe that ashley Bavis is that her name she was the person who was shot at the mm -hmm. uh, attempt to storm the the actual room where congressmen were inside of the capitol building but uh, otherwise, there were also several people injured who did not die, of course. So absolutely violent, no doubts about that. And I think uh, something I see from the right um, is that, I mean, I, I want to say alt-right, because there are some Republicans in the Senate. Uh, I, I think as of today, uh, Tom Rice said that, I mean, I know he's an advocate for um, MAGA, uh, as a as a brand for all four years all four years he's been pushing it and he said that he cannot like this wasn't okay this was a, a failure on Trump's part so a lot of Republicans are uh, calling it what it is a, a seditious act and an incitement on Trump's part uh, but many people on the I would say alt-right are saying that Trump didn't say to go do this specifically so he's not at fault and I think that's a little too much tunnel vision um, I, I think we can we can safely say that this was uh, established by uh, Trump, which is interesting. Later on, we're going to have to talk about uh, the impeachment and what that might look like, because there are a lot of uh, speculations and uh, strangely, there's sides to this conversation. Some people think that Trump isn't he, he wasn't the one who incited anything. It's very strange. But when we're talking about the coup, uh, will we I mean, we had talked about this earlier i mean what was what, what would the motivation of this coup what, what could it have been 
like to take over for, for real? Was it to make a statement to say, hey, we have control? Like, I don't. I mean, it, it's a very complicated situation because you could argue the motivation behind any um, any revolution or coup tends to be both economic pressures, whether it be, uh, you know, a, a price shock or unemployment or increasing cost of, of living, which certainly have have uh, happened consistently in the history of the United States. But in this specific case, you could argue there are stronger pressures behind what motivates these instigators, shall we say. And for those, well, shall we say, for those people who participated in this crowd, uh, the motivations are quite literally as they as they expressed violent regime change insofar as they wanted to uh, remove uh, the members of Congress uh, from, quite literally from, from their offices. They wanted to remove specifically Mike Pence, they wanted to remove Nancy Pelosi, and uh, specifically they chanted that they wanted to have Mike Pence, they wanted to kill Mike Pence, and this is um, in that sense, not simply a well, a motivation for for political change, but but it's really a desire to actualize that change through violence. Hence, yeah. um, they struggle the news. They they, they have one. Yeah. Um, I think uh, a really good example to point to uh, that also involves uh, violence is uh, looking at something else to parallel, right? So uh, the Rwandan genocide, for instance, okay, if we were to look at that and parallel this, what conditions were brought about that set the scene for something like this to happen? And, you know, in, in all the research that has been done in, in trying to understand what happened, how we let the Rwandan genocide happen, there are some very big takeaways that I think that a lot of people ignored and or missed and enabled Trump to allow the, these type of conditions to to be set for what happened last Wednesday on the 6th. And that is violence evolves slowly. The first time Trump ever mentioned uh, a fraudulent election was in 2016 against uh, when he was running against Ted Cruz in the Iowa caucus. That was the first time he ever mentioned that. And his slow and tactical dismantling of media and people's trust in media was purposeful. He continued that for the entire four years of his presidency, claiming fake news. And he spread misinformation about COVID and, you know, multitude of other examples. But him creating a lack of trust in institutions that are normally trustworthy or at the very least a rooted in uh, some of the fundamental values of our country, like freedom of expression. So therefore, you know, attacking the media is a, is a tactic used by dictators all the time to try and silence people. So that was a very big sign that he really was not in support of people opposing him. And by creating a lack of trust in the media, he set the stage for people to never believe anything that comes out of anybody else's mouth but his own. And that is why anything that he says, his supporters do. So, you know, this has been happening. This has been, you know, for four years. And since uh, after, in, in June, it, this, in 2020, in June, he start talking about, oh, I don't know if I'm going to accept the results of this election. 
before it even happened. He set the stage for this to happen from the beginning. And we can see that in other ways that we look at uh, how, how violence evolves in, in some of these steps. And they're very clear over the past four years that he uh, helped bring that, bring Wednesday's insurrection about, undoubtedly. On his, um, the, the RNC acceptance speech, I want to say it was the RNC acceptance speech, he said, and, and this was a lot of his um, campaign in 2016, he said, um, I'm the one who's going to get it done. You got to trust me. Uh, people said, hey, what, what, what are your plans for you know, A, B, and C, you know, the, the economic plan, uh, the plan for you know, this, that? He said, oh, trust me, I have the answers. Uh, many people liken that to, uh, I mean, and, and I, I want to say this is extreme right now, but again, this is what it could become. Um, Hitler, he, he had a speech where he said, you know, I am the special one. I'm the only one who can get us through uh, this. He likened himself to many uh, powerful men in Europe at the time. I think like uh, Bonaparte, um, something, I think... Uh, there were two other uh, famous names that he, that Hitler had um, compared himself to. And he said, I can get us out of this mess that we're in right now. Trust me, Don't. it doesn't matter what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do it though. Trump's RNC speech sounded very similar. You know, don't trust the media, this is a lie, this is a lie, but trust me, always. Um, and I think that kind of set this, this, almost faction like you're on my side or you're you're not with not with America <laughs> which is great uh, very very uh, Hitler-esque very um, dictator-esque in, in the way that he talks about media and speaks to the people of uh, uh, spoke to the people of America it is very interesting when also I think uh, defining a coup uh, what do we say? Um, so a coup, you have to have uh, motivation. There has to be goals. I think that uh, last Wednesday we did see they wanted to uh, change um, the leadership, take some people out of power. Um, but uh, Silvio, you had said uh, the actualization and consequence of failure is a part of a coup as well. Can you, yes. can you explain in, that? In this case, more? it's it's important because uh, the the goal specifically the way that they wish to actualize the coup is to um, not only uh, put a person in power but also create legitimacy for that ruler and this is the reason why um, what constitutes failure for for this coup would not simply be putting uh, uh, say putting Trump in power but it has to be done in such a way that it is seen as, as legitimate and that these um, insurrectionists are seen as as basically bringing about a kind of political revolution and that they represent the will of the people. This is why, you know, if we compare it to, for example, the coup in which Napoleon took power, the 18th Brumaire, um, in, in that case, the the coup was done w using military authority, whereas here this could be seen as a kind of popular coup where by not having uh, used paramilitary forces the, the insurrectionists or those who are trying to make the coup are, are making themselves seen as, as if they are um, basically they are the legitimate uh, American people they are exercising their sovereignty which means that the consequences of failure are very important for them because they 
would not have succeeded had they had they turned this into a gunfight, mm-hmm. which it did not turn, uh, which it did not turn out to be. But if that had happened, it would have been an even worse failure than what already took place, because then there would be no legitimacy whatsoever to what they did. They would simply be armed terrorists, which they already are, but they would be armed terrorists who have brought armed violence to uh, the U.S. capital. that is interesting and I, I think the fact that it is still legitimized in any sense because I mean people are saying oh well this is what happened we have to you know let's ignore this because uh, I guess people want to ignore it on Trump's part and said that you know we need to unify the nation now I, that's something we hear a lot from uh, the right uh, in the house and the, uh, in the house very much when the proceeding to impeach Trump in uh, uh, Congress, the House specifically, that that was um, something they talked about. We need to unify each other. Don't don't <laughs> impeach Trump. Um, it's only splitting us up further. And I think, uh, like you said, uh, the, the fact that they didn't start a gunfight legitimizes that uh, type of talk. Well, they didn't se- separate us. They just made their voice heard, which, I mean, again, is absolutely softening what actually happened. But it's fascinating. That is fascinating. If they turned it into a gunfight, that wouldn't be a conversation. This would be obviously uh, terrorism. There's no way you could get out of that. Um, but and, and even now, it confuses me that people do not call what happened uh, terrorism or domestic terrorism. It's strange. We're saying protests when even six months ago uh, in the summer, they were calling Black Lives Matter uh, marches, uh, riots, when there were, you know, little little cells here and there that were breaking into organizations. But that, I mean, it's strange coming from the right that they don't think that this was domestic terrorism. Now, again, a lot of Republicans are doing that. So I want to emphasize, I would say the, the extreme right, if you're very right, the, these are the people that are saying that it's not domestic terrorism, but they were so quick to attack uh, Black Lives Matter uh, protests and some of the, the riots in there and just say all of it's riots, some, all of it's terrorism. It must be Antifa, this group that we have not even identified as a, a solidified group. So it's, it's strange to hear that. But yeah, the, the lack of death legitimized uh, it to the point where they still can say that, that strangely enough. I mean, this this whole situation is very strange and um, we're still watching. Right, I mean, right now, okay, so today it's the 15th. So we have five days until uh, Joe Biden's inauguration. Um, there are, what was, what was the stat? There's more soldiers in uh, the Capitol right now than like what, Syria, Iran. Iraq, Afghanistan. And, mm-hmm. That's 16,000 National Guard, to my knowledge, maybe more, which means that there are four times what they usually are uh, in terms of National Guard security for the capital. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you saw any of the images of um, all of them kind of piled into the Capitol building uh, or laying on the floor in the Capitol building. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's a very powerful image in the sense that I find it ironic that they have enlisted these uh, 
certain men and women to basically sleep on the floor of the Capitol to protect them, even though half the people in that building are uh, don't really particularly care because they don't see the people that invaded the Capitol as a threat. And even if they condemn the violence that happened, they are not uh, really taking actionable change on that at all. How many people still voted? 147? 147 people still voted to uh, delegitimize the election? 147 people, including multiple representatives from uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, and, and so it's it's frustrating to me that they're they're trying to make excuses. They're trying to saying that they want to unify um, when in reality they have these, you know, men and women out here lying on the Capitol floor trying to defend them while these people have conversations about how the people that did what they did last Wednesday really wasn't that bad. And I find that to be tragically ironic. I mean, it's, it's strange to at any time, any time. I mean, making any situation political to a point where it's divisive is is always a foreign thought to me. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement becoming a leftist, uh, becoming a riot, becoming a this, and now this, it, it's, it's like, why are you politicizing this? Like I, I always try to imagine if I was some type, if I was a representative for you know uh, so many constituents, if they were saying, hey, that that wasn't even a riot, you know, maybe you can be saying that, but as a representative, like you have to be. You're also working for America. It's not just your constituents. It's how I feel at that point. Maybe that's more of a senator job. Maybe that. So when I watch the Senate hearing, there cannot. There cannot be any of that. Like you can't say, "Oh, well, it wasn't a riot or, or this or that." Like you, it. There are no excuses to politicize this at a higher level. I mean, it. In some ways, right? What they did is meant to be a political act, but in terms of making it divisive as whether or not they should condemn it is ridiculous. You know, all, all a lot of the people that fueled the flames of of the insurrection didn't take any responsibility whatsoever uh, and they still voted to, against uh, the certification of our election they are not voting to impeach him um, they are not standing up for you know America and democracy at all in doing that and you know Ted Cruz Senator Holly both of them, uh, you know, Senator Holly was on the steps of the Capitol with his fist up in front of, you know, the quote unquote protesters before they stormed the Capitol. Ted Cruz was on the Senate floor talking about how half the country doesn't think this election is legitimate and we need to, you know, take those claims seriously. Uh, and to that, I would quote on Mitt Romney just tell them the truth. If you think half the country thinks the election is a fraud, why are you giving that legitimacy instead of telling people the truth that that is not what happened? And instead of being truthful and, you know, having faith in the election process, he fans the flames of the conspiracy theorists that this was all rigged on the floor of the Senate. And it's a joke that he's allowed to do that because it's honestly misinformation and he has airtime for that and donald trump has set the stage for himself to do that 
and his enablers. And, you know, I mean, sometimes when um, Republicans, I mean, honestly, all throughout these four years, I've wondered, I mean, does Trump have like, have a knife to these guys throat? Like, what's going on? Did he, he kidnap somebody? It's so strange that they are so willing to just go along with this this fantasy that, that Trump is is conjuring. Uh, he'll say, oh, the elections were rigged, this happened, that. Like, he could say anything. And it seems like some of these uh, representatives will just follow. Uh, and, you know, I, I wonder if, and it, I mean, I guess I don't wonder. I know that there's maybe, well, I think it was a consistent 30% were uh, following Trump to the end. And that's just in America. It was a consistent 30%. Um, in every state that just loved Trump. Like it never went below that number. Um, and maybe all of the, uh, the these Republicans are really banking on that 30% to be reelected, which is, you know, ugly. It's not about, um, you know, moving forward as a country. It's about getting reelected so you can have all of these um, positives. But I mean, Trump is willing to, you know, denounce anybody. We saw that with Pence. That was a big one. That was one that surprised me. He said, oh, if Pence doesn't follow through and do exactly what I say, doesn't follow my fantasy, then we should hang him. I'm like, whoa, whoa, that was too much. Like, we got to denounce him. And he, it's just insane. The things that <laughs> if you if you if you uh, go against Trump, then that's it. You're done politically. It's how it felt if you were a part of the right. And it almost makes me feel bad for some of these senators, but I mean, not senators, representatives. And then I think, I mean, it's more than that. You're representing America. This isn't about you and your reputation. This is so much more than that. They, they fuel the flames to what happened on Wednesday, again, over four years. It's, it's very strange. Um, I mean, it's almost dictator-like. It, it feels like, I mean, tr Trump says anything. Hey, uh, the sky isn't blue anymore. If every Republican doesn't say, "Hey, I don't," the sky's not blue. Whatever you thought well, this is not true anymore. Then they they no longer have a position, or he will fire them if they are within his uh, cabinet or uh, part of his actual administration. It's just it it's an ugly presidential display. It, every really step of the way, somebody has made an excuse for him, whether it has been his press secretary or a senator. They have always said, oh, well, Trump didn't mean exactly that. They meant this. He meant this. He meant this here. And, you know, but they never actually say, per se, that he was wrong. They they try to dance around the situation, you know, when in, in press conferences, they're like, hey, Donald Trump said X, Y, and Z. Um what did he mean by that? And they, and you know, his press secretary will say, oh, you know, um, X, Y, and Z happened and uh, he is upset about it and I'm sure he stands by that, but I can't really detail what that means because they don't even know. That was a very consistent thing, yeah. It, it is, they, they just, it's like this, you know, verbal dance of loaded buzzwords or whatever that they just spew on national television to, you know, try to make some excuse for some horrible thing or inaccurate misinformation, uh, you know, that Donald Trump has tweeted. And it's, I think that's a huge part of the reason why is that I cannot think personally of a single person on the right 
not anybody of significant leadership, not Mitch McConnell, not Lindsey Graham, not Ted none of these people have ever gone up and said, Donald Trump is wrong. Do not listen to him. This election was free and fair and you need to trust the process and understand you can't get a participation trophy. He just lost. No, none of them said that until it was way too late. The, the only people that said that were what Lindsey Graham and, and Mitch McConnell and it's because they kept their jobs. So it, that was way too little too late. And I mean, it's fascinating. So, I mean, you can um, say that Donald Trump's grasp on the Republican Party, um, however that was, I mean, his his uh, fear tactics to, you know, again, say what I want or you're gone. Um, and then we see after the elections, some people, not everybody, some people said, hey, well, just real quick, elections were fair. OK, I'm out. <laughs> and, and I mean, that, again, far too little, far too late. Um, but I think, I mean, you, you look at other uh, ways that Trump did this. I mean, I think he not only scared all of his Republic, Republicans to um, really the whole Republican Party to do as he wanted. It became the Trump Party, and I think it still is the Trump Party. It's starting to uh, uh, crumble uh, as we speak. The fact that we still saw almost 50% of America vote for him, I mean, that says testaments beyond just the representatives and what they're saying. But, I mean, Trump has really enamored a lot of the populace into voting for him. It, 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 feel, it feels like a cult because, again, these things are fictitious. A lot of the things that his representatives and his... Um, I mean, the people who voted for him are, are saying that he has done. I mean, I think when he says, you know, I've done uh, more for the black community than any president ever. I think anytime he says ever, you know, it's a lie. It's too much. It's hyperbole or straight up a lie. I mean, he was saying he was a big Christian the one time when the, the protesters were at the White House and he, he threw the tear gas and separated them, took the, the, the picture with the, the Bible. I mean, even before that, he's like, yeah, I'm very Christian just to get votes. I mean, he, he is above nothing and what he creates and what damage it might do. And it's fascinating all of the triggers that he pulled. It's just so strange. It is so strange that everyone who voted for him, not everybody, many, many, many people who voted for him are living in this fictitious world where Trump is this savior. And, and that's that's not even talking about QAnon yet. I, I mean, it's fascinating. It is fascinating how he has got such a great following and such a fervorous following to the point where sedition happens in our capital. If we see him as a dictator, he's got three features of a totalitarian dictator. He's got the leader cult. He's got the, um, basically, uh, shall we say, the shaving off or the uh, reduction of his former su former supporters slash aides in his own administration. Basically, anyone who is um, not entirely with him is against him and is thus uh, the interior enemy which has to be destroyed first. We can see this happening now with Pence, as you mentioned. And the third feature that uh, uh, we could say is the inability to 
well, you, you could say the inability to allow for anyone to succeed him in and turning the Republican Party into the Trump Party, as you mentioned, which also explains why the only people who were able to oppose him are people who already had a, a history in that party. In this case, now most recently, Mitch McConnell and uh, Graham, but uh, to some extent also Mitt Romney. But anyone else is, is, is a nobody now because they're not Trump. And Trump is everything to these people who support him and who vote for him. It, it honestly reminds me of uh, the kind of uh, machismo cult of Vladimir Putin, if you will. I mean, I, I, I know uh, my neighbors down the street have this giant billboard flag kind of thing going on, and it's Trump's head, but on like this really kind of like Terminator-like body with like a strapped magazine on and like a gun and a red bandana. And I'm like, that man is 74 years old. I know that he doesn't look like that or anything <laughs> close to that. Uh, so that is just this, uh, I, I don't know if they think it's funny or if it's like a real delusional, that's the frame of mind in which they see him. And I'm gonna go with the latter because that's how they behave. And that just reminds me of like, you know, Vladimir Putin out in the wild shirtless fishing. Like that's like the same parallel to me. That's is what he's doing is trying to create that uh, in, infallible persona. He beat COVID. He is uh, never wrong. The election was rigged. He could never lose. It's impossible. And, you know, if he lost, it must have been rigged. And that's it's kind of like he looks like a, uh, a deity in some ways like you know it's, he's more than what he is he's the symbol for uh strength and um what a man should be like you know never lose never wrong like you said it's it's strange and um even i mean when you okay so let's get back into reality and not into his false narrative i mean his legislation has not helped poor people in any way that i that i can list and yet you see so many so many uh areas where there are uh poor um disenfranchised people, whether that's white or colored. And in a lot of these white disenfranchised um, counties, you, you see they voted for Trump. They want to be like this guy. It, it is so strange why they think that. I mean, I want to vote for the guy who's not going to work for me because he's a symbol of what I should be. It, it's such it, it's a weird dynamic. It is. He really does look like some kind of god, and I know in a QAnon, I think they—he's like a fallen angel in that in that mythos. I'm not sure. I've heard someone from Germany say that uh, specifically. Uh, Trump's an angel. He came from heaven. I'm like, whoa. It, it's really weird. The people he's captivated, and it's—it's uh, it's almost not surprising that it is. Um, it's many white people uh, that that don't have uh, a base of in, in intelligence necessarily, but it is surprising that these people don't have money and they are they want this guy. I know, um, Marina, you you had been talking about how capitalism um, uh, and the um, 
things that that kind of does to our uh, society. Yeah, I think has kind of aided that. Just the stigmatizing of being poor, right? Just mm. looking at that alone, no one wants to to be poor, and in in the U.S. too, looking at obviously because of years of institutionalized racism, but the, a lot of very rich people are white, are white men. So poor white people have always had visibility in the idea that that could be them at some point. Mm -hmm. That was never a question because they could literally see themselves as those people, right? So as a poor white person, seeing uh, other white people be successful, and especially with the way that we equate money and capitalism kind of to the American dream, people that have achieved wealth in, in this concept of, of capitalism are uh, therefore deserving and good people that have worked hard for their money. And so if you're a poor white person, I think uh, because you're not really facing any racial barriers at all, right? In your, you, you, you just think, if I just work hard enough, I can uh, achieve what this person has achieved. And in stigmatizing being poor so much, and also that group of people uh, othering uh, people of color, right? And now that's also part of, um, you know, what Trump has done, but also just kind of uh, CEO billionaires have tricked poor white people into believing that they don't have a job because of immigrants, as opposed to they don't have a job or they're just not getting paid enough to sustain their life because billionaires are billionaires unnecessarily. In doing that, or white people disassociate from people of the same economic status as them that are people of color and they still have a superiority complex like no other and they believe that they are deserving and they just need to work harder and that is this capitalistic mindset that they that they are in and that money you know will come to them because they are good people and they are hardworking and they are deserving and that is not something that they see people of color as clearly and they don't see immigrants as hard workers. They see them as taking their job, which is ironic because if they're hard workers and that person now has their job, it's very confusing. I don't understand the logic, but there really isn't much uh, going. So, you know, his his supporters, uh, that demographic is, is very largely uneducated, white, you know, lower middle class, uh, low, lower uh, income individuals. And it's because of the, you know, stigmatizing of being poor, and um, it's very easy to to blame people that don't look like you. And Donald Trump does that very well. He he's very xenophobic in his rhetoric uh, from the very beginning. Him building a wall, the way that he talks about immigrants and refugees, his Muslim ban, all of these point to indications that he believes that, you know. People of color are, are not, you know, worthy of the same praises as white people and do not deserve the same rights as natural born Americans. And, uh, you know, even it, when he was not even running for president, talking about Barack Obama and his whole uh, citizenship. It's ridiculous. Um, so that's just how, who Trump is. He, he pins it against people of color because in our system, in our education system, in the societal attitudes, it has been very easy for white people to separate themselves from people of color 
and black people in this country and constantly you know continue this idea of superiority and it's like and he has definitely trump has definitely driven that in his rhetoric and so i think that the wide vast majority of his followers are the demographic of the uneducated white uh, uneducated white and and poor low-income individuals is because of that capitalistic mindset and the way that it makes it much easier to blame uh, immigrants for being jobless than it does to face uh, you know actual financial hardships and you know take responsibility uh, you know that the government might need you know to help poor people because they don't associate themselves with people of color that might also be poor so white poor people they're separate in their head and I, and I think that's a very big part of the reason why they follow him so blindly. I may say, the thing is that, I, I think what you've pointed out is the, the disparity between what individuals feel they deserve and what they actually get in terms of political rights or economic opportunity in the society is the cause for, shall we say, revolutions, or in this case, uh, the desire to, to hold, take over the government for the coup. but. Trump's success as a leader in this case is because he is able to direct to direct that anger, the feeling of this great you know, cavernous disparity between what people believe they deserve and what they have, not towards, shall we say, the real causes or systemic issues, but rather towards perceived enemies. In this case, whether it be immigrants or foreign powers or uh, minorities within this country. And once again, I think we've we've talked about the question before about whether or not Trump is a dictator, but it's, it's just uh, interesting to me simply because, say, for example, even in terms of his foreign policy, he used his power as president to um, incite, shall we say, to, to make conflict much more likely. And for example, for, for months, there has been a buildup of troops in the Persian Gulf. Um, there is legitimate fear of uh, a war between the United States and Iran in, in uh, much of the world. And I'm curious about whether or not um, these, uh, shall we say, uh, very very driven people would, would feel the same thing about, uh, about the circumstances that they are in, had there been a war, for example. So it's a very troubling question simply because people's, shall we say, people's willingness to uh, to put up with political inequality could also be an expression of their willingness to incite violence, uh, both within their own society and uh, going to the war. I'm curious, actually, do you think... Um, how, how long do you think this will this kind of mentality will continue? Will this remain a part of the American, uh, shall we say, political landscape? I mean, it, it is it's so chaotic right now. I think there's, I mean, um, there are social justice um, issues all over the place. I mean, that's obviously still very, very prominent. And then this is just added onto that with the, the label of white supremacy, um, 
of uh, white privilege. Uh, we are now comparing uh, the protests and and then you know last week turned riot, seditious, seditious riot um, to the, the, the protests before. So that's going to continue the animosity about how law enforcement dealt with that, how government dealt with that, uh, how representatives are uh, addressing it, how they're not addressing it. Either way, the the, the it's. I mean, we did see a police station on fire. People were angry there, and for right cause again. Um, and, and then we saw, uh, <laughs> we see people getting shot. Um, people are storming capitals. As far as violence goes, I think that's going to continue. I, I think we start to see, we're starting to see movement when violence happens. So, okay, with the Black Lives Matter protest, I know George Floyd's killer got on bail. He still has a trial somewhere, um, but he's out, uh, you know, free right now. So that's great. Jacob Blake, uh, the guy who got paralyzed, his killer, I think, got fired. That's it, though. There's no like they uh, the or general attorney of I want to say Wisconsin. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, but wherever that happened, the general attorney said, yeah, the state isn't going to do anything. Uh, so, again, our government, it, again, it feels like they're failing us in that sense. So, I mean, I think we're still going to see uh, protests for Black Lives Matter. And if nothing happens, I'm sure we will see uh, a rise of a boiling point. Now, last week, I it's weird because I don't like it was boiling the whole time, but I didn't think that that would happen. We're going to go attack our, our, our capital because we think, and it's a huge, we think the election wasn't counted the right way. I mean, so many people are telling us it is, but we don't think so. We don't, we don't believe you. So then we have a distrust variable. And, and I, I can't imagine that's going to go away. If Trump is, um, okay, impeached for the second time, he can't run for president again. Uh, the states, whoever has allegations against him, I know New York has some dirt on him. He, he was a, a fraudulent um, bankruptcy um, uh, status, like he did that many times. He was borrowing money to, that he could not pay back. Uh, that's going to bite him in the ass. Uh, we're going to have all of these government institutions attacking him. And I'm not sure that his followers are going to say, oh, yeah, this is this is right. Because like, they already didn't trust our government institutions to say that the election was not rigged. I, I mean, I think that we may see more violence. Um, I know that uh, the 16th through the 20th, or maybe it was the 15th through the 20th, we're going to see protests in, I think it was every capital in every state in America. Um, and I don't know what the protest is about. Is it about the fraud, the quote unquote fraudulent election still? Are we still fighting for that as a protest? What is this? I, I honestly don't know. I know that they've sent out some information to like the general like police forces in Pittsburgh specifically because um, PA uh, is a swing state. And while Pittsburgh is an urban city, uh, we still have right outside the city uh, quite right. a few, uh, yeah, kind of plenty of. Uh, bordering counties to Allegheny that are in fact very red um, but I, I just don't see how this attitude goes away without any proper healing and accountability accountability being held because 
as long as we continue to live in this like two sides of America, there, I don't like how those that group of people, those Trump supporters, were able to infiltrate the capital of the United States. Pays more country for, or pays more money for defense than any other country in the world, by the way. Uh, still didn't have enough people uh, to cover some dude wearing bullhorns. Uh, or to get somebody to stop stealing the podium from Nancy Pelosi. You know, that that was allowed to happen, but when we, there were Black Lives Matter protests over the summer. There were Capitol Police, National Guard, you know, lining the steps of the Capitol. There were they tear grass pro- protesters, arrested protesters, uh, kidnapped really, I mean, I don't want to say that because I don't, you know, but in Oregon, you know, there there was some stuff going on, and as long as we continue to live in that, t- as long as we continue to live in an America where Cori Bush, a representative, gets booed by her white counterparts talking about white supremacy, how how are we supposed to move on from that? How are we supposed to work with those people? How are we supposed to weed out that attitude when it's in our government? It's in our government. It's not just like, you know, some crazy uh, Trump extremists outside the Capitol building getting in. It's the ones in the Capitol building that are creating this problem and spreading this attitude. And, you know, not to be the bearer of bad news, if you will, or sound like I'm being conspiratory. Is that a word? Conspiratorial? Thank you, Silvio. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but empires, on average, only last 250 years. And if you consider, you know, at least the U.S. to be the hemispheric hegemon of uh, the side uh, of the world, uh, and you know, economically speaking, yes, uh, 2026 is 250 years for the U.S. So, regardless of in what way it flows, I don't think uh, this, the track that we're on, is very sustainable. Uh, in any in any sense, um, I don't think this divisiveness, this lack of justice, I don't think this lack of accountability will be able to hold up our government. The fact that we are still relying on a constitution that has only made seven uh, what seventeen amendments since it was written, and we're still functioning off of that. We're still functioning. The purpose of freedom of speech, I think, and I don't want to say what the founders meant for it to be, but the point was that we don't want to be ruled by a government that won't represent us. (laughs) So, in other words, we don't want to be ruled by a government that doesn't change with the people that its constituents fill. I mean, at least that's how I'm understanding it. Like, it's not, I know there weren't many variations uh, of people uh, when uh, America was created, but I think that was a point. Freedom of speech. We want to have ideas. We want to move forward always. We want to flow with our people, not just stay still. Um, But, you know, I think economic um, benefits for the people, uh, I, I think say that again i think the economic benefits for uh, the people who were there the whole time they don't want it to move too much because then they will no longer have those benefits i think that's always been a huge thing uh, and and that's why i mean in many ways when 
uh, Citizens United got passed, this country started to look more like an oligarchy that is standing still. And, and, and that's, that's terrible when we have racial disparities in economy. You're not going to see these races that have the freedom of speech actually change a damn thing when all of these men that uh, I would say majority white men that have all this money, have all this power right now. Why would you want to give that up if you don't have to? And I don't have an answer other than for the people. But again, it, that's not that's not the story we've seen so far. It doesn't. It's not about we the people. It's about the few. And um, I I don't see this changing. It's very chaotic. It's just becoming more chaotic with the acceptance of uh, this alternate reality that that some representatives now there, there wasn't there a QAnon that just got voted what's her name green oh my gosh marjorie green from georgia she is violent really i mean she was making commercials with guns and like making jokes about the quote-unquote you know the squad miss miss aoc and uh ilhan omar and uh, you know it, so like and she got elected so in a that so I'm just saying like they're in office they hold actual power and and it's like okay if we were already having trouble making you know actual amendments to the constitution and I'm dealing with change even though our founding fathers gave us the opportunity to you know do that last time they made an amendment was in 1992 so it's been a minute and uh I'm pretty sure I don't even I, you know, I, so I, I just, it is difficult, I think, to conceptualize how this could possibly continue down the track that we're on. Like, I, I just don't see how we're going right now being the way that we continue successfully, because clearly we cannot. And without, you know, some changes made and you know, some people in power that actually care about people and, you know, having people in power also that look like the people they represent and are the age of the people that they represent as opposed to people in office. I know that's going to sound ageist, but, you know, Mitch I mean, McConnell and Nancy Pelosi were educated in the time of segregation. And if they don't, if people don't think that plays a part in the way that they govern, that's foolish because it, it does. Foolish. It is ingrained in them. By the time that, you know, segregation even became illegal, they were in their 20s. So yeah. to, to act as if there are certain beliefs that they hold that were not solidified by that time, that they, you know, in their 80s, late 70s, if you will, yeah. you know, are trying to overpower. I just don't see that. They, they've, that. That's all they've ever been is these lifelong politicians that have never had to deal with the consequences of their own legislation because they've never had to live with it outside of the walls of the Capitol. They've never had to live as a citizen since they've been elected because <laughs> they just keep getting elected in these gerrymandered districts and so we haven't had a lot of change that's been very consequential for the american people because our congress does not reflect the american people it really is unfortunate that we don't have representatives representing america
be sure to listen to the next episode if you want to hear part two of this conversation. Follow me on my Instagram, Jade Experience Podcast, if you want to continue the conversation there, or if you want to join me on one of my future episodes. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you very soon.